the book of Proverbs, chapter 25 tonight. So we go from Genesis to Revelation in the Sunday evening services. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, just wave at the men that are coming up the aisles right now. They've got Bibles, and they'll get you one this evening. And then, of course, if you don't have a Bible, God wants everybody to have and to know and to read the Bible and get to know him through that and take that Bible home as a gift from you, uh, from the Lord to you uh, today. We pick things up in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. This proverb commends a patient spirit, and gentleness of speech as being much more effective in moving a human heart than impatience with people and anger, to just communicate the truth and then uh, wait. So often uh, because of this culture that we live in where things have got to happen fast, and uh, sometimes even when we're sharing the gospel with people or God's wisdom with people, you know, we want to... Um, notch in the belt uh, at the end of the conversation. We want everyone to come to know the Lord the first time they hear the gospel or to change their way the first time they hear what God has to say about their situation and how they ought to be going in a different direction. So we want this instant thing, but it doesn't, moving a human heart isn't instantaneous. Usually it isn't. And it takes patience, it takes long forbearance, and it takes continual speaking in a gentle way uh, toward another person. It takes time for uh, the truth to work in the hearts and the minds of most people. He tells us, and I think it's a powerful image, that truth spoken gently is as impossible to ignore as a broken bone. Isn't that powerful? (laughs) You can't ignore a broken bone. I broke a bone. I've only broken one bone in my life, and I went off on a bicycle and fell and stuff. So I tried to ignore it for about four hours. You're not ignoring me. Next thing you know, we're in the emergency room. Now, a broken bone is something that gets our attention. And there's something about something that is said to a person from when a person speaks it from... Uh, the depth of their heart, sincerity, and they speak it with gentleness. It is, it is easy if somebody gets in my face and yells at me or does something like that because then I can just throw it off on the basis of their personality or how rude they are or whatever. But when somebody speaks the truth with gentleness, now I'm just left with that truth. They haven't given me any excuse, any leeway on it. And then that truth just sits on that human heart, and it's as impossible for a person to ignore as it is to ignore a broken bone. It really goes deep to where people are virtually defenseless against that. And when he talks about, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, he's talking about uh, kings. And so here you've got someone who is a servant to a king, say, uh, serves in the presence of the king. Well, the king is the, he's the potentate, man. He's the sovereign. Uh, a cupbearer or a counselor has no authority over the king. He can't force the king to believe anything other than he wants. And yet, patience, speaking the truth gently, 
and continually with patience. It will even move a king's heart. The interesting thing is, it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, today sometimes you're going to feel like you've got to scream the gospel or scream the word for it to be powerful and to make an impact. It isn't uh, so because not everybody's a screamer. So we like all personalities involved in teaching the word and, and uh, sharing the gospel. But in a position that I'm in right now, I am, I am dealing with rulers. I am dealing with a whole room of rulers I know many of you, know many of you for years, but I don't know a lot of people that are in the room. You come into the room and you are the ruler of your own life, your own heart, your own mind. And so here I have the truth of God and the Word of God to uh, deliver, and I can't, I can't get you to believe anything di- differently than you already believe. But to just take in, in our ministry of the Word of God, even on a one-on-one level with friends and family, to just stay consistent in speaking it into people's lives, do it gently, and it's powerful, powerful stuff. It's the same thing with um, sharing the gospel with people. We're dealing with a person who's a ruler over their own life. I don't have the ability to uh, make them believe anything or to believe the gospel and, and yet sharing the gospel with great gentleness and then to be patient while it does its work, uh, it's powerful, uh, way to do things. And sometimes contrary to the culture, you know, or, or even our personality. I like Isaiah chapter 55 in this vein, familiar passage. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes forth, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, and it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And when we really believe that, then we will deal with people on the basis of patience and gentleness delivering that word, uh, we can rest in that, that God will then take it from there. Verse 16, have you found honey? And that might, we might just say, have you found a box of C's candy or a box of Snicker bars? Honey, um, honey in those days, that was the sugar rush. That was something that you put on your bread and that was the dessert for the day. Now we have s'mores and chocolate chip cookies and uh, cheesecake, and you just think about whatever your favorite is. And um, I remember one time when I was a kid, we uh, stumbled upon a soda machine that was in at a gas station, and we discovered that uh, if we popped it a certain way, uh, we could pull a free Coke out. So there are three of us, and the thing's just jammed up with soda. Well, man, we never got soda. Nobody could afford soda. And so we sat there, and we drank every one of those sodas in that machine, the three of I never want another soda for the rest of my life. Have you found soda? Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need lest you be filled with it and vomit. We understood all about that. So the proverb teaches, uh, don't overdo even a good thing. It can make you sick. And so the importance of moderation in our life. It allows us to 
continue to have an appreciation for things in life. You get too much of a certain thing, all you want, and blah, you get, then you get sick of it and you lose an appreciation. Not just food, but other things as well. Seldom set your foot in, set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. So again, here is moderation spoken of in the area of personal relationships. And uh, the word seldom there at the beginning of uh, the proverb, it means to make precious or prized. In other words, only visit your neighbor uh, as often as they will consider it a precious thing or a prized thing. And, uh, and so we talked today about, we use the phrase, don't wear out your welcome. That's basically what it's saying here. So visit enough that your visits are valued, but not so much that you become a nuisance. Be conscious of people's feelings and their time and their schedules. Sometimes people come over and they're like, there's no hint that, um, you really need to do some other things. I mean, they've been talking like for 10 minutes and you're doing this with your watch, you know, and they just can't pick up any clue. And so it's talking about sensitivity and that, that kind of, of a vein. Now, one of the most beautiful things about all of this is that with human beings, we got to read them, we got to look, we got to be uh, moderate in, in uh, the imposition of ourself upon them and that kind of thing. But it's amazing to think that even if we have to sometimes um, navigate that so carefully, we never have to have that concern with God. You'd think it would be the other way around, wouldn't it? It's like, God, get in there, get out, 30 seconds. Whew. Man, you're talking to the God of the universe, the creator of everything. And yet the Bible tells us concerning him that we can come into his throne room boldly. It's a throne of grace that we come to. We'll always receive grace and mercy uh, for our particular need as we do that. We never have to worry about wearing out our welcome with him. Now you just take that proverb right there and that little truth, how that proverb applies to God, and think about how rich we are as Christians just on the basis of that, that he loves our company. He puts down the newspaper, so to speak, every time we want to have a conversation with him. He never... <sighs> things like that. Verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. So uh, a neighbor who lies or or, uh, gives false testimony concerning the neighbor, uh, he does incalculable damage uh, and harm through his lies. He's an instrument of harm. He's like a club. Uh, Solomon says he's like a sword, he's like a sharp arrow, all these do damage to people, and so lies do terrible damage to people, and yet how commonly they are spoken and how commonly they are believed. And so it's good to be reminded of how destructive lies are and allow that to search our lives related to that. This is a, one of the hardest things to deal with in life, isn't it? Is it, it isn't so much that people lie about you and, and don't tell the truth about you. That has its own pain. What really kills you is that people believe it. They believe it. They, they can believe for 20 or 30 years. They can believe that's the truth about you when it's a complete lie. And, uh, and, and so it just does terrible Terrible damage. We shouldn't lie. 
We should never believe lies that are told about another person. Confidence in an unfaithful, and the idea is an unreliable man in time of trouble, is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Those are two experiences you don't want to have there, three of them. Every day that you don't have a tooth hurting is a good day. Younger people don't understand anything about it. So you've got three things that are listed here that produce a painful experience. Eating with a bad tooth is terrible. Trying to walk with a foot that's out of joint. And another very unpleasant experience in life is entrusting a very important message to an unreliable uh, messenger. And, and that's the truth. They'll goof up the message and ruin it. And, of course, the highest application of it has to do with us carrying God's word, carrying the gospel into the world, being faithful to represent it well. Verse 20, one who takes, uh, like one who takes away a garment from a person in cold weather and like vinegar on soda. If you ever put vinegar on soda, what do you get? Violent reaction. Uh, Take away uh, the warmth of a garment from another person in cold weather. You're going to get a violent reaction. And so too is one who sings songs to a person who has a heavy heart. So this speaks about being sensitive to our environment, being sensitive to other people in what we say and what we uh, do. To just come in to... um, a house or into a situation and just sing uh, songs and be all perky and all to someone with a heavy heart. It really can be cruel and uh, might provoke a violent reaction. The Bible says that we are to be appropriate to our situation. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to uh, mourn with those who mourn. And there's just that sensitivity that's to mark our relationships with other people, to behave appropriately uh, for the situation. Jesus always was appropriate for the situation that he was in. A bruised reed, he didn't break. Smoking flax, he didn't quench. He was just right. Red people understood what their need was, and it was appropriate uh, for the situation. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. Laced with what? No, it doesn't say anything about that. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head. The idea is you'll convict him of of his being your enemy and what a foolish thing it is to be your enemy and the Lord will reward you. So this talks about uh, acting in kindness toward our enemies. We could wish we didn't have any enemies, but we do get enemies in life and uh, some of them for the simple reason that we are uh, Christians. Paul takes this proverb and he quotes them in uh, Romans chapter 12 where he tells us that we are to overcome evil with good and, and by repaying evil uh, with good or with kindness and uh, we're much more likely to produce kind of a feeling of shame in the person or to get them to repent of their feelings uh, toward us 
uh, in this way than any other way. If we fight fire with fire, then it just becomes the Hatfield and the McCoys, and the feud goes on, and it drains you, and then you come down to the level of your enemies, which we don't want to do as Christians, and uh, that's not worth the price. So the importance of dealing with our enemies uh, in this way and then saying, Lord, I give this to you in the hands of your Holy Spirit to use to bring peace to this relationship. And that's why he talks about it. And the Lord will reward you. He will honor that. And so give that to him. So if you're just like in the middle of a war with somebody here tonight and you're giving them right back what they're giving to you, you know, emailing back and forth and Facebook or whatever kind of thing or right to their face or whatever, back off from all of that. Do this, and this is what God wants to work with from your life in the situation. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. And so just as the north wind brings rain, so too slandering another person is sure to provoke uh, their anger and their wrath. Nobody enjoys uh, being the brunt of slander. Verse 24, it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a contentious woman. She hasn't repented yet all the way through the book of Proverbs. She's still, he's still there and she's still there. Hasn't repented yet. So we'll just repeat the lesson. Every husband and also every wife, and by the way, every child, has a right to live in a home that is marked by peace and not by uh, contention. And uh, everyone has a right to that. And this woman that's being spoken of continually uh, hasn't figured that out yet. 25, as cold water to a weary soul. And the, and the idea is that that's very refreshing. When you're very thirsty, cold water, wow. So is good news from a far country. And when you're really thirsty, there's nothing better than a glass of cold water, is there? I mean, that's just absolutely the best. We used to, when I was a kid, we, my twin brother and I, we used to pick prunes every August in Napa Valley uh, for our school clothes. They didn't have McDonald's and other places to earn money, and you couldn't get a job if you were under a certain age, blah, blah, blah. So that's how we would do it. Boy, it'd be hot during those days, and man, how you like uh, water. I remember we'd ride our bike out there, pick prunes for whatever many hours a day, and then still the heat of the day we'd come back and didn't matter how much it cost us in terms of a box of prunes. I think we got 35 cents a box back then. And um, we'd hit that 7-Eleven on the way home and get a Slurpee. Whew! Got us by every single day. So some refreshing, something cold to drink uh, is refreshing. And then it talks about in uh, the same way that is there anything better for a man's soul than good news. And the idea of good news from a far country, and I'm sometimes I'm the same way as you have. I hate to make this all about me, but um, my wife's just done hearing about me, so I just... Who else am I going to talk to about me than, than you? I'm totally kidding, by the way. So where in the world was I in all of this? So sometimes we'll see 
you know, the church has been around for about 30 years, and so we have people that we know from all kinds of days in the history of this church that have gone out to pastor other churches, or some of them have gone and been missionaries, or they've gone to other towns, or whatever it might be, and to see them. And when I see these old friends, I just think to myself, good news from a far land, just to see that they're okay. Now, in those days, they didn't have Facebook. I write that down. And text it to somebody. <laughs> so when you heard news that, hey, your brother or your uncle or your father or mother, you know, hundreds of miles away was having a health crisis or whatever might be happening, and, uh, and here you'd get the news of that, but it might be uh, months and months and months before you got any kind of an update. You think about back in the old days where they're starting the colonies in the United States of America and people had families back in England and all and something happens and how long it took for a letter to get back and forth. So thankful for communication today. And so here you are, pins and needles, you know, mother is on her deathbed and she's got this fever and we don't know if it's going to break and the letter goes off. And then three months later you get the letter and said she's doing great and all of that. Ah, you know, good news uh, from a far country and it blesses the spirit. And of course, again, the greatest application of it is to the gospel. The greatest blessing uh, to the human heart, to the human spirit, is the good news of the gospel. It really is good news from a far land. It is good news that has come from God that he's delivered to uh, us. And so he's the richest fulfillment of verse 25. Verse 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. And the idea of faltering before the wicked, a righteous man faltering, is he gets shaky and he falls or he fails. So this speaks of a righteous man who compromises his convictions when he's in the company of wicked people in order to gain their favor. And uh, the result is, is that his reputation is ruined because the people that he's trying to gain their favor, the wicked, they, they know he's just a wannabe. They know he's a righteous person. He's never going to be a bad guy. And so he's just done a stupid thing in front of them. And then all of the other people that were looking at this man or woman and thinking their, their convictions, their standing for God in that environment is such an encouragement to me. When they then compromise, it causes the hearts of those that are watching them that are righteous to fail uh, as well. And so the importance of uh, not compromising in any environment, it just ruins our uh, reputation. It certainly doesn't gain us any favor with the wicked. And we, you never gain anything by compromising with the wicked or with what is wrong. There's a funny thing about the devil. I mean, you got you got to give him credit where credit is due. He never compromises. He never compromises. The wicked in this world never compromise. Their only hope is that the righteous will compromise with them. And the proverb is important in telling us we're never to do that. Here, verse 27, it's not good uh, to eat much honey, uh, so to speak one's own glory is not good. So eating too much honey 
and uh, listening to someone brag about themselves, uh, both those things make you sick uh, to your stomach. They used to have, just for those of you who are too young to remember, in the United States of America, um, bragging used to be a, um, uh, that was a negative thing to say about a person. They're bragging about their self. They toot their own horn. Now it's all mainstream and everything. But it still makes you sick, just like too much sweets. Whoever has no rule over his spirit, that is no discipline, is like a city broken down without walls. And a city without walls in the ancient world was completely defenseless against their enemies, very, very vulnerable to attack, very, very vulnerable to defeat. And the proverb tells us, and this is so important, this proverb, that a person who never learns any discipline in his or her life, then they're going to be attacked often and successfully by our enemy, the devil. We must learn discipline as God's people. We just have to do it. And and the earlier, the better. Uh, Self-discipline is a, a characteristic of it is one of the things that's listed as a mark of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives to develop discipline because we need discipline. And we will need discipline in a way that we... Sometimes when everything's going smoothly, there's no big problems, no this or that, and, uh, and you say, well, you know, I got enough discipline to get by and I don't really have to take care, think about discipline and all. And boom, then comes the spiritual warfare or then comes the trial of the difficulty into our life that we never imagined could even exist. And then we are grappling for every bit of spirit, Holy Spirit, self-discipline that we've got. If you sit here tonight as a Christian and you are an undisciplined person, you must start to exercise discipline in your life. Uh, It can be something that's as simple as saying no to a dessert once a week uh, or seconds on desserts. It can be something as simple as saying, I am a totally undisciplined person And so I am going to get up the same time every morning. And I'm going to go to bed at the same time every night. Whatever it might be to start to develop discipline in our lives because there comes times in our Christian walks and certainly if we're serving the Lord where spiritual warfare is, it is hand-to-hand. And I mean you smell the breath of the enemy who is trying to destroy you. And at those times, we will need every bit of discipline that we've allowed the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. It's a very sobering uh, passage. We live in an undisciplined uh, culture. And as Christians, we are to be disciplined. Start somewhere and let the Lord then build on that if that's a, uh, a weakness in your life. Chapter 26, as snow in summer and rain in harvest, and of course to have snow in the summer or rain during the harvest of a grain, that would cause a lot of damage to a crop and uh, injury to the farmer. Well, in the same way, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Uh, To promote a fool 
or to put him in a place of honor can only result in injury and damage, and so don't do it. Sometimes there's great pressure. Say, boy, you know, it's your son. You've got to put him in that position because that's just the way that it goes. But my son's a fool. Mm, all the pressure, all the pressure, all the pressure, whatever it can be. Here's a situation at work where you've got seniority, and the guy that's now the highest in seniority, he's the one that ought to go there. If I say no, it's going to be a disaster. But if I say yes, he's a fool. He's not made for that position. And so it can be hard on the short term, the immediate, to say no to that, but it's important to do that. You put a fool in a place of honor, and uh, you're going to uh, really pay a price for that. Like a flitting uh, sparrow, like a flying swallow. Good to see all the birds around now, isn't it? Spring has come, and here they are out looking around, all that stuff. So a curse without cause shall not alight. And so one of the interesting things about I like birds a lot, a lot. Here I am talking about myself again, aren't I? How many of you like birds a lot? Just raise your hand. Hi, raise them high. Okay. Now look at those hands, everybody. We like birds a lot. I'm speaking for a lot of people in this room. Always reminds me of the birds. They're beautiful creatures. Oh, the diversity of creation just in birds and the color. And the fact that God feeds those birds, he's going to feed us and he's going to take care of us as well. But the interesting thing about swallows and the interesting thing about a, a sparrow is for all their flying and all their flitting, as it speaks about here, they never land on you, do, you, do they? They just can't get them to do it. So they're flying all around, but they never land uh, on us. And in the same way, he says, so a curse without cause shall not alight uh, on us. It won't have any effect upon us as uh, God's children. So we don't have to worry about any of those kind of things, curses or superstitions or who's got a rag doll somewhere that they're putting pins in or I saw a black cat and I went under the, um, you know, the ladder. If you've got to hang up with that, just walk under ladders all day long until you get out from it. It has no power over us at all, zero power. So it teaches us that we're absolutely free from a superstitious life. People read the horoscopes and they think, oh, this is going to happen. It's going to be a bad day. I've got to put the covers over my head. All this. It has not, God is never going to allow any of that stuff to alight on us. He's made promises to us in his word. That's what, he's, that's what our life is about. That's what our day is going to be about. What we're going to see is his faithfulness to his promises to us. We don't have to worry about any of these spells or any of this kind of stuff. We certainly think about Balak. Remember the king of Moab in the Old Testament? And he hired Balaam to come out and curse the children of Israel. And he tried four times, three times to curse the children of Israel. All that came out of his mouth was blessings. Finally, when he realized I couldn't, he couldn't curse the children of Israel, he said to Balak, listen, i got one more prophecy here. It's free. And it was all good as well toward the children of Israel. But even if people are able to you know, express a curse against us or something, it has no power at all. We live a superstition-free life as a Christian. So uh, you don't have to keep wearing uh, the same tie uh, to coaching your little league game 
or the same hat because you're one always with that hat, that kind of thing. A whip for the horse and a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the fool's back. And so the whip and the rod and the bridle, all of them means of guiding and directing. And the idea is that if a man or a woman uh, has need of a rod in order to get them to do the right thing, then they're living on an animal level in life. And uh, we should be able to simply be told what needs to be done, wise enough to then uh, obey that. And if we're constantly having to be beaten into a place of doing the right thing, then we're living a life that's no higher than an animal in that regard, and we shouldn't be doing that. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Wow. That's a toughie. This seems a little contradictory, doesn't it, here? So first he tells us not to answer a fool. First part, and the second part he tells us to answer a fool. So which one is it? Well, the answer is, is found in the latter part of each verse. It all depends on the circumstances. In the first part of the proverb, he tells us don't come down to the level of a fool by arguing with him and then giving him credibility by arguing with him. Don't get angry with him and, and say something stupid uh, yourself. And then the second part says is basically communicating, don't let your silence be misunderstood as agreeing with a fool. There is a place uh, to correct and even to humble the pride uh, of people in life. And so you don't do me a favor if you just keep silent while I'm saying something stupid and you don't say something that reveals to me that that was a stupid thing to say. So the proverb teaches us that there are things in life we have to learn to ignore and then there are other things uh, that we have to, of necessity, correct. And that is handled situation by situation. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool. There's a lot of that going on, isn't there, on the book? Solomon seemed to have some problems finding people to send messages with, or at least he had some bad experiences. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. In other words, he drinks uh, poison. So, the, again, the message, don't use a fool as uh, uh, your messenger. He's going to not be able to, he's going to mess your message up. He's not going to properly represent your heart or the tone of the message. It will create just a big mess and a big misunderstanding, and it would be better if you hadn't sent him uh, at all. So uh, we would say if you send a message by the hand of a fool, we would say he cuts off his own feet and uh, drinks violence or drinks poison, but we'd say we're shooting ourselves uh, in the foot. And so it just causes damage to our cause. Like the legs of a lame man that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. In other words, a proverb is useless. Wisdom is useless in the mouth of a fool. It's as useless to him as the legs uh, are uh, to a lame man. And so the uh, idea here. Uh, related to a fool and related to wisdom is that he doesn't know what to do with true wisdom. He doesn't know what to do with God's wisdom. And uh, he will uh, falter and stumble as he's trying to explain it or to articulate it. And you watch so many 
uh, wise people. They can say all kinds of crazy things contrary to the Word of God, but then you give them some piece of wisdom from God's Word, and you say, would you explain the virtues of this? And they're completely tongue-tied. They wouldn't know how to bring out and explain the virtues and the beauty of God's wisdom. And again, it reveals them uh, to be fools. And they don't know how to handle wisdom. They don't know how to communicate it for all the degrees or lack of degrees. Verse 8, he who binds a stone in a sling, uh, like one who binds a stone in a sling, is he who gives honor to a fool. Well, a sling, you know, you put the stone in it, you put it around David, Goliath, and then you shoot that uh, rock off and, and toward a rabbit or toward Goliath or whatever it is that you're uh, doing. But nobody would put a stone in a sling and then sew it in. You're going to get hurt. You're going to release that thing. It's going to come back and hit you. That stone's supposed to go out of the sling. And so uh, you're only going to do harm if you sew a stone into a sling. And uh, in the same way, it's crazy, again, to promote or to give honor to a fool. It's never in anybody's interest to do that. And it's only going to cause, it's going to come back and it's going to hurt you. Verse 9, like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard, in other words, it produces injury, uh, so too is a proverb in the mouth of fools. And so just as a drunk shouldn't be pruning some plant that has thorns, you don't want to hire a drunk to go prune your rose bushes uh, because he's, he's going to uh, do injury to himself, so too a fool should not attempt to teach wisdom. And so... Uh, the, like the drunk with the thorns, uh, the fool in wisdom, the fool shows that he's living a life that disqualifies him from uh, teaching uh, wisdom. And so he's only going to end up doing harm to people that he is attempting to help. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. Now, this is a very interesting verse. And you know why? Because nobody knows what it means. Isn't that fabulous to come to a verse in the Bible and say, and somebody says, well, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) You know, Chuck Smith, Pastor Chuck, who's now in heaven, he used to talk about different passages in the Bible where um, they were confusing or you know, he didn't understand them yet. And he said he had a little file in his file cabinet, and it was the, the little file said, more information needed, and he just put it right in there. There's mystery sometimes. You see, you try and figure it out the best that you can, and sometimes you can't. And the text here, really, in verse 10, very, very uncertain. It's translated so many different ways that it really is impossible to say which meaning is correct. And I'm not going to tell you the ten maybe meanings to it. We'll just move on uh, to verse 11 that um, is very clear. Uh, As a dog returns to its own vomit, every dog owner... Uh, has seen this. Much to their horror. Because dog lovers like their dog to lick them. And then you realize you have no idea what that dog has been eating a minute before. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool 
repeats his folly. And uh, a dog, again, a kid about it a little bit, but all of us have seen it. The first dog I ever knew that did that was a dog we named Junior. He'd throw something up, just ghastly, sitting right there. Oh, terrible. You come out three hours later, and there he is. He's eating it again. Just disgusting. I still love dogs, but they cut the... The dog can be so dumb that it'll come back to its vomit and it'll eat it once again. And, and the idea is that, and dogs don't understand this yet, um, if it made you sick the first time, it's going to make you sick the second time around. And uh, the fool who's been delivered of his foolishness, he got delivered of his foolishness and he came to God because he got sick of his foolishness. But then God cleans him up. He lives in wisdom. He gets healthy. He gets strong. And then somehow there's something about it that what once made him sick and made him become a Christian, now he looks back over there and he thinks, well, maybe it wasn't so bad after all. And he goes back into a backslidden state. He goes back to something that's the equivalent spiritual equivalent of vomit, and he goes back and he eats that life once again and then discovers that it's no better the second time than it was the first time and then hopefully comes back uh, to the Lord. So it's always a very bad decision, crazy, crazy decision. Uh, If sin made us sick enough to come to Christ uh, at at the beginning, it will only make us sick if we go back to it. Peter uh, brings all of that up in his epistle uh, as well in making the same point. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. Wow. He's in this pretty graphic description of fools in in Proverbs. And here's a person who has less hope than a fool. I was talking about the proud man, the man who doesn't see any need for correction. A fool can understand uh, his need or our need for uh, correction and uh, sees it a lot easier than the person who is blinded by their pride, blinded by self-conceit, and, and all of that makes them unteachable. The problem is, is that every single one of us in this room, bar none, bar none, All of us have blind spots. We all have blind spots. We all have something we can learn from other people. We should always be learning about life and learning from the Lord. And we need to always remain teachable all the days of our life and and to receive input from other people. If we ever reach a place where we say, in in just pride and arrogance, that person can't teach me anything, I won't listen to anything that they have to say, or um, I won't listen to what anybody has to say, then that person, that's a crash and burn scenario because uh, it puts us in a very, very vulnerable place in life. So a very strong warning, a needed warning against pride and unteachableness. May we remain teachable all the way until we get into heaven. The lazy man says, there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. And so this speaks of like the crazy excuses that a lazy person will come up with in order not to go to work that day or not to go down to the store and buy a loaf of bread that the family needs. 
She'd say, hey, could you go down and pick up a loaf of bread? We need it for dinner tonight, maybe some eggs and all. I can't do it. There are lions out there. There are no lions in the streets of Jerusalem at the time of Solomon. It's these crazy excuses. They call him to work, and I can't be there today. There's lions everywhere out there. And these, the How far lazy people will go to to protect their laziness and to uh, put off... Uh, uh, doing any kind of uh, of work. And then, of course, that kind of person is shocked when they're the first one that's laid off uh, when business gets slow. You can get laid off when business gets slow when you're the sharpest worker in the world nowadays. Uh, but it's never uh, good for, uh, you know, staying on in times like today by being a lazy person. As a door turns on its hinges... And you just hear the creaking of it, don't you? As you open and close it, so does the lazy man in his bed. And so the door swings back and forth on its hinges, but it never goes anywhere. I go to bed at night and wake up in the morning, and I'm just confident that those doors will be right where I left them. You turn the open and close those doors, all that movement, all that action, all that activity, but it, it never goes anywhere. And Solomon's saying the same thing is true of the lazy man. He rolls uh, back and forth on his bed. He goes from his back to his side and then to his front, but he remains in bed. He never gets out of bed. He's attached to the bed, never gets up and goes anywhere. And so like a door, he makes a lot of movement, but he makes no progress. So again, the con a condemnation of laziness. The lazy man, so you just think it can't get worse, the lazy man buries his hand in a bowl. So he just puts it right in there to get his porridge or whatever it is. And it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. He's so lazy he won't bring the food up to his mouth. You say, that's crazy. No one would do that. <laughs> you don't know. There are people who are, would be willing to starve to death rather than repent of laziness. But it gets accommodated. The check keeps coming, the kick, whatever, this kind of thing, and it accommodates. But if they were, some of them, if they were ever put to the test of having to work or starve to death, uh, they'd probably choose to starve to death. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So seven is the number of completion uh, in the Bible. There's seven days in a week. There's seven colors in the rainbow. So it's the number of completion. So this uh, talks about seven men who possess the perfection of discernment. They cannot convince the lazy man to change his ways. And so not only is he lazy, but he's a true believer in his Rationale for living the way that he lives. The lazy life is the way uh, to live. And he, a person can become proud and unteachable in that they, they can end up thinking that everybody else is the fool and they're not the fool. And uh, so the Proverbs are given in order to wake up even the most um, uh, drastic case of laziness to their condition and the danger of it. He who passes by and meddles in an argument, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. You ever picked a dog up by his ears? I hope not. But if you have, I can tell you what happened. You got bit. 
<laughs> you lift a dog up by its ears, that dog is going to bite you. I don't care if it's the most mild-mannered cocker spaniel that has ever lived or whatever breed, it will bite you. And so here we have a warning against interfering in quarrels or in fights that are none of our uh, business. And so here you've got a situation going on. You're a passerby. You notice it talks about meddling in a quarrel that's not our own. He's not talking about a situation that's really going south and it's a bad thing that we're seeing happening and somebody needs to step up and be a good Samaritan in the situation. That's something that we need more and more of. And uh, that's a godly characteristic in a person's life. But here's a situation where two people are having a discussion or an argument over something, and they haven't invited us to be a part of the discussion. They haven't invited me to speak into it, and I just interject myself into uh, that particular discussion and into that uh, situation, and I'm going to end up getting bit uh, as a result of it. And so it's a dangerous situation, and I think law enforcement walks into those situations all of the time. Here are two people that are in a fight and all, and uh, it's a mess. Law enforcement has to get involved in the situation. They must do it. They're not meddling. But even they, under that authority, when they get involved in that, how quickly both parties can then turn on them. And so, again, uh, uh, warning us against getting involved in qu- uh, quarrels or fights or discussions that are none of our business. Well, we'll stop there tonight and we'll pick it up in uh, uh, verse 18 and uh, next week talking about a madman. So if you're a madman tonight, uh, we just, you just missed by a verse. We'll pick that up and we'll address you next week in uh, Proverbs Uh, the verses 18 and 19. I'd like the worship team to come forward tonight and allow us to close out not only our evening, but to close out our day today with just a little bit more time of just worshiping the Lord, meditating upon some of the things that we've heard. And um, I love the book of Proverbs. So many of these speak to me this evening. I have a personal history on the good side and the bad side of so many of these Proverbs. Don't think that when I'm clear and direct related to all of the, some of these things, you say he's heartless, you know, in terms of how, you know, the candor with which he brings it forth. I'm talking to myself. What in the world? This is a numbskull I got to get through to on a regular basis. So good things to think about that things that have been in the Proverbs here where we might just have to stop and say, Lord, I want that to change in my life today. I want discipline to mark my life. And I see the wisdom of that. And I see the need for that. Lord, I'm sticking my nose in everybody's business. It's a characteristic of my life, and I'm trying to fix the whole world, and i got to back off from that, and I heard you tonight on it. But also this morning as we talk about the Holy Spirit, again, it just warms my heart to be reminded of the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person.